right. Welcome in, hockey fans in the desert southwest. Another episode, another edition of Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. I'm your host, Scott Strandy, from Scottsdale, Arizona, on this beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Memorial Day today, uh, we recognize all the veterans, all the uh, the gentlemen and women that have stepped up and laid their lives on the line for this great country and all the things that they have done. So uh, a happy Memorial Day if you can, or a remembrance, somber Memorial Day for those that uh, have lost loved ones. But um, either way, we do look and we do celebrate their lives and what they've done. We look forward to uh, many more good things for this country that we live in. That being said, folks, we are uh, still in the midst of uh, a COVID-19 epidemic, a pandemic, which is spread across the country. It's not over yet. It uh, hopefully is trending in the right direction. And in the hockey world, that means things may be slowly getting back to games. I don't think it's going to be normal for a little while. But um, as I said, Scott Strandy here in Scottsdale, my co-host Seth Askelson will be joining me in just a few minutes. This evening, we've got a great guest, as always, when I get my uh, my good friend Tom Callahan, the uh, NHL broadcaster, the AHL broadcaster, the media guy for, for U of A hockey down in Tucson. When we get Tom on, it's always great because he's so insightful. He knows so very much, has his own show, uh, Talking Puck on Twitch TV, uh, works some podcasts as well. So great to have Tom coming on and joining us in a little bit. I want to start off tonight, though, by talking a little bit about what's happening with the NHL. You've all heard, I'm sure, the fact that the NHL is uh, has laid out a proposal, and it was passed by the uh, NHLPA, the Players Association. Um, a lot of guidelines. I mean, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, my goodness, there's a lot of guidelines. We're not even close yet um, as far as players getting on the ice and, and what they're going to be able to do. There's... Uh, different phases um we're approaching phase two of what they call returning to play where players will be allowed to practice at their team's facilities but without coaches so starting early june june they haven't given a specific date yet but there'll be a maximum of six players allowed they're going to be tested for covid 19 twice a week um they're going to be able to participate in uh non-contact skates and, and exercise in the uh the team weight rooms um they're, they're just, I mean, just a ton of things. And our good friend Jesse Granger has posted a bunch of them on uh, his Twitter account. So thank you, Jesse, for, for all the hard work that you always do. There's, of course, masks going to be required at the facility when they're not doing exercise or they're not on the ice. There's uh, the uh, six-foot restriction for to try to keep everybody within uh, six feet. But what we do know is that there's going to be um playoff hockey it appears unless there should be a major setback coming up and and that would include 24 teams here in the desert southwest of course we're uh we're definitely interested in the arizona coyotes and we're certainly interested in the las vegas golden knights so both of those teams would make the playoffs under this format so Folks, it could be July. It might be played into August, maybe September, but uh, it appears that we're going to have NHL playoff hockey. Um, as I said, all of these different things going on, there's some there's some talk about the lottery and the draft and how that's going to play out and, and when it's going to be and how many teams, what format. Uh, Bob McKenzie from TSN did a great job of uh, laying that out. Um, so nobody's really sure how everything will play out. They just... Everybody's excited. They want to get back to playing games. They want to hand over Stanley Cup sometime. And I think 
from that point forward, they want to look forward and hope that they can get back on the ice and in a normal fashion or as normal as we can get um, for the upcoming season, which would be the 2021 season. So hopefully that's all good points. As I say, it's, it's all got to do with the medical professionals because they're the ones that are going to determine whether the, uh, the players are safe, uh, whether there's ever going to be fans back in there, how many fans there will be. Um, but one thing we do know is TV will be there. They're going to be able to uh, broadcast the, uh, the games and, and people will be able to watch their favorite teams again. And they will be competing for a Stanley cup a little bit different than normal because this year we're going to have four teams in each um, conference, which will be seated in. And I do believe I've got my co-host Seth Askelson with me. Seth, how are you this evening? Seth, do I have you with me? Scott, can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you this evening? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, just getting, uh, just giving the fans a, a little bit of a rundown about, uh, first of all, our guest Tom Callahan joining us, the NHL and AHL broadcaster and media guy for U of A hockey, doing some club hockey stuff down in Tucson. And, and just how excited we are to have him on because he's going to be able to help us out in deciphering what's going on with this uh, return to hockey. But as I mentioned, there's just a, a ridiculous amount of, uh, of things going on and, and restrictions that are being put out there as we enter what they're calling phase two. So I don't know if you've had a chance to look it over, but just what are your thoughts, Seth, as we start to uh, move towards hockey again? Um, I, I mean, I think it's one of those where that's the best case scenario, right? I think we've spent the last three, four weeks talking about that. What's the best case scenario? And that 2014 playoff was laid out pretty early by a lot of people. And I mean, it made the most sense, but my biggest thing is um, the players are, have quickly uh, expressed concerns, you know, cause it's going to be, they're going to have to go through some sort of training camp and, you know, be isolated away from their families for maybe even four months, if not more, you know, after the season is over and, you know, if, if there's going to be some sort of two-week incubation period before they can even go back home, you know, whoever wins the Stanley Cup and whoever plays in the Stanley Cup final, especially if you're that team that loses in the Stanley Cup final, you got to stay away from your family for two more weeks and think about that. So I think players have expressed their concern about that. And one of those things where, um, again, we've talked about it, and I know it's not fun to harp on, but – Look, you take these guys away from their families. This isn't just 16 teams. This is more than half of the league. And, you know, you say, hey, you guys got to come back and play and, and make us money, which, again, I think the NHL, no matter what, they're going to operate at a loss. You know, I know they're going to try and limit the damage and limit that loss, but um, this is one of those where you, you know, you're going to get to the negotiation table and those players and the union reps aren't going to forget about the time that, you know, they were made to come back and, and play hockey. And so I think this is, again, I, I don't like the harp on it. And I know it's probably a, a subject we talk a lot about on this uh, on this show, but you got to think ahead. You got to think of the future. You got to think what is player relations going to be like. Because you got to discuss a new labor agreement. I believe that's after, uh, two years from now. So. Again, a lot of those, a lot of the guys in two years are still going to be in this league, at least some of those top guys, and that isn't going to be fun at the negotiation table if 
Um, there isn't a good agreement here between the players and uh, the league. Yeah, you know, and I think that's one thing uh, that you like to, to talk on, and, and I appreciate that because uh, a lot of people don't think about that part of it, the business side of it. They just think, okay, if it's healthy, health-wise, we're ready to get back on the ice. Let's get back on the ice and start playing. But I referenced uh, a tweet from Jesse Granger today. It said, um, just quite simply, prohibited from entering the team facilities during the NHL Phase 2 for return to play. Media, player agents, massage therapists, chiropractors, player performance personnel, players' family members, and any other persons. I mean, that pretty much spells it out, Seth, that there's a, it's going to be different. Okay, and that's just phase two. And, and when the players do come back, they're talking about the first part of June, and they're talking about coming in with a maximum of six players allowed at a time. Um, I mean, I don't even know, and, and without coaches, how, how do you run a, a practice with six players and no coaches? Exactly. And, you know, guys obviously like, you know, not that they hate their teammates, but, you know, certain guys grow certain bonds. So, you know, how do you divvy that up? You obviously have to have a veteran or two veterans per group. And if you're a team, say, like Vancouver, who um, is pretty young, right? I mean, you take a look at Vancouver. Sure, they have a couple of veterans, a guy like J.T. Miller. Uh, Jacob Markstrom is a goaltender, uh, one of the more veteran guys. But who are their top players, right? Brock Messer, a little bit young. Um, Quinn Hughes, very young. He's a rookie this year. So Elias Pedersen, same thing. And I know there's a lot of maturity that's talked about those guys. But, again, uh, are you trusting – which isn't necessarily a bad thing for some teams, but on the Coyotes, who runs practice, right? Is it Ekman Larson? Is it Golikowski? And that's just asking your players to do more than they're paid for. So you're basically turning players into coaches. And yeah, that might work at, you know, the minor league, some of the independent and lower minor league levels, but at the NHL level, I know the players aren't going to be in for that. So, um, or another thing you could do, right, is say at Gila River Arena, who's got a, a gorgeous video board that was put up last season. You have a you have Rick Tockett Skype in, and they put it on the video board, and he tells them what drills to run. Right, like now all of a sudden you're, you know, yeah, these guys want to get back into shape, but I bet you they'd rather skate privately. You know, run ice out of Oceanside or the Ice Den, or you know, um, instead of going back to the arena to have six guys to basically have a a thing where. Um, you're, you might as well just rent the ice out, right? Because I'm sure it would cost the team less to rent the ice out, um, say, at Oceanside, than it would be to pay security to make sure that nobody's in there. And, you know, nobody tries to get in during these team facility practices and keeping security in there to keep count of how many players are in and out. Like, it just, all of a sudden, all of these things come up, and it's it's hard. It's hard, and I just don't know, um, you know, what's, what's next and – I don't know how you do that without almost making it look ridiculous. Yeah, I completely understand uh, on that aspect as well. It's a, it just seems like there's so many things that have yet to be worked out. And, you know, you see how methodical, and, and, and I'm not criticizing this at all when I say this, but it's been very methodical. I think it has to be methodical. But uh, unfortunately, with um, being methodical comes the fact that it takes time, right? I mean... We're at the end of May right now. It's Memorial Day. And by the way, um, I guess happy Memorial Day is out there. We, uh, we, we look and remember all the, uh, the, the people that laid their lives on the line for, for our great country. But um, 
so when you look at the process that this is taking, uh, we still don't know what facilities are going to be used for the east and west, and uh, we don't know how that's all going to play out. And we, then, then it's games. I mean, then you got to schedule games and you got to schedule airtime, and I'm sure that's being done in the background. But you know, I just don't think you're going to throw these players on the ice and all of a sudden go boom, you're ready for for playoffs. But they've they've come to a decision and they've come to an agreement with the players' association that they're going to play a 2014. Uh, you know, we've, we've bounced that around the last couple of weeks or month or so about that being a possibility. What are your thoughts? Obviously, the Coyotes and the Golden Knights have been, but what, what's your thoughts on the 2014 format? I mean, it's, again, it's the best case scenario, right? We talked about it. That's the best you can do. That's the best you're able to come up with. So, I, I mean, I don't think there's really anything you can do in regards to that, but um, I just... Uh, I mean, the Coyotes matching up with the Predators in the last five, six years, it seems like the Coyotes have matched up with the Predators somewhat well. Uh, obviously, their last trip to Nashville didn't go the way it went. But again, this is going to be one of those things where, you know, no fans, probably in some sort of hub. So really neutral ice at, at this. I think it's just one of those things where, um, you know, you just have to you just have to get ready for it. Right. Like you don't get to pick your opponent which, I mean, that happens in the playoffs anyways, but this is the hand you're dealt. So, I mean, for the Knights, I know what was proposed was that there was going to be kind of a, a three-game round-robin seeding. Um, so that's good for the Knights in terms of being able to, to get a leverage on it. Again, that doesn't really matter in home ice as much as it's who you're going to play next. Yeah, true. And that's, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we look at is when the players get on the ice, and I asked Kenny McCudden that, our guest last week, I said, what do you think it's going to be like for the players to uh, try to generate and, and build momentum and and everything you need to be successful in a playoff environment with nobody in the crowd? Uh, you know, I mean, the hockey players are driven by emotion and noise and, and big hits. And while the big hits can still be there, there's not going to be anybody cheering you on. Uh, how difficult do you think that's going to be? All right, so you have uh, a big one. You get two notches, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's really, yeah, it's really incredible, uh, you know, that. But, um, Seth, let's, let's take this let's take a short break. Let's uh, hear from our sponsors, and let's come back with, uh, hopefully, our guest Tom Callahan will be with us. We'll take a quick break, folks, and be right back. Located across the street from the iconic A Mountain and Sun Devil Stadium and a quick walk from Wells Fargo Arena, College Bar and Grill is your home for the best local craft beer, delicious creative cocktails, tasty food, and Tempe's best atmosphere for Arizona State Athletics. College Bar and Grill, pregame like a pro, postgame like a champion. Online at ilovecollege.co. Behind the Mask Hockey Shop, celebrating 25 years of exceptional service to the Arizona hockey community. Offering the top brands and an educated staff of hockey players to help you choose the right gear for you. Visit any one of our three Valley locations or check us out online at BehindTheMask.com. Hi everybody, this is Jay from OxyPal. You probably know our products for being used on your gear to eliminate the odor and bacteria from sports gear and 
and your gym and all that stuff. Um, in, in light of current events, uh, we have uh, switched up and added a new product to our production line. It's called our Have a Nice Day Hand Sanitizer. Um, it is exclusively for use on your skin, whereas our other uh, products have been exclusively for use on your fabrics and, and, and gear. Uh, this product is available here at my shop. It's available on my website at www.oxypow.com. And you can pick it up or we can ship it to you anywhere in the United States. Hey, Michael here from M-Drive. My dad, a world-class scientist, actually made M-Drive for himself to stay active and continue enjoying life. And yes, M-Drive supports healthy testosterone, but it's so much more. M-Drive is the everyday supplement to fuel your drive with more energy and more strength. Listen, we'd love for you to try M-Drive too. Visit mdriveformen.com and we'll give you 20% off your first purchase. Just type in the code DRIVE at checkout. We find your pride with M-Drive. I can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's Barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue. Located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. At the heart of any good cocktail is the quality of the spirit used. And if you want to make the best margaritas, or if you just want a straight shot of the best tasting tequila, then Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila is the brand for you. Award-winning Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila has the taste you want to make perfectly blended cocktails, whether you're celebrating an overtime game winner with friends or relaxing by the pool after a long work day. Find your bottle, be it in Arizona or elsewhere in the U.S. Visit us at MexicanMoonshine.com. Roger Klein's Cancion Tequila, award-winning taste since 2011. All right, we're back. Scott Strandy from Scottsdale, Arizona. My co-host, Seth Askelson from North Phoenix, Arizona, on this Memorial Day. And I believe we uh, we may have our guest, Tom Callahan, coming with us here in just a minute. But, Seth, uh, a little bit of phone issues there, but how are you doing? Good. Apologies. I've had to run an unforeseen error, and I had texted you before coming on, and um I'd let you know I might be on a little late, which was the case today, and uh, my phone ran into some technical issues. So, um, as always, I appreciate not only you, but uh, our listeners for sticking through the, the tough technical difficulties. I know um, in terms of hockey, other than some of the great reporters like Catherine Silverman, Craig Morgan, um, ASU Zones, Matt Lehman, Richard Morin, uh, we're really, you know, th- those four and, and you and I are really providing a good bulk of the, the hockey content in Arizona. So I appreciate our listeners sticking around and uh, for choosing us on their Memorial Day uh, weekend. Absolutely. And without further ado, let's introduce our special guest, uh, the voice of NHL, AHL, USA, the voice of everything, Tom Callahan. Tom, uh, happy Memorial Day. How are you? Well, thank you. The voice of everything except reason, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> 
I left that one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably a good call on your part. <laughs> well, folks, if you don't know Tom, shame on you, first of all. And second of all, uh, one of the most insightful hockey minds that I have ever come across. And Tom, it's great to have you on as always. Uh, so many things have happened. Seth and I were just talking briefly uh, in the opening of the show about uh, all the things that are going on with the NHL. And, and I just uh, referenced a tweet from Jesse Granger over in Las Vegas about phase two of the quote-unquote reopening and uh, just how almost ridiculous it sounded when, when I was reading it with, with no media, no no players' families, no massage therapists. It goes on and on and on. So let's start right there. First of all, the Players Association and the NHL came to terms. Uh, is that fair? Uh, uh, Scott, I think the best way to characterize this, and I actually did read all 23 pages or whatever it is, uh, is to call it a framework. So they, are, they have agreed in principle to what they're calling phase two. And that means... Essentially, what we're seeing, you know, the NBA try to do as well, although they don't seem to have the urgency that the NHL does. But this now allows players to gather in their cities uh, where they play, state and and whatever government permitting. But now they can gather, uh, they can practice in groups of six or less, no coaches, no support staff outside of trainers, doctors, and equipment staff, as, as you mentioned, no massage therapists, no anything else. Uh, there's testing protocols in place, and the I'll, I'll call it the soft opening, if you will, of the NHL, to use a restaurant term, is going to take place here in June. There's actually no date specific to when this will happen, but sometime in June, they hope, early June, there's also no specific timeline to how long this will take. It could be a week. It could be three weeks. It could be however a, a month or two, depending on how things go when they're able to get back together. So that's what they've agreed on. Scott, the other part of it, the hockey part, which you may want to talk about later, is the 24-team format. Uh, it seems like that is pretty much a go as well, and we can get into that if you want. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to break it down into three parts. I want to talk a little bit about this opening part first, then we'll talk about the format. And I'm going to let Seth jump in with some questions about player contracts, because he, he's, he's really into that stuff. He wants to know what's going to happen with draft picks and things like that, which I don't think a lot of think people, you know, just casual fans think about from the outside about what this all means in terms of draft and contracts and free agency and all that. So we'll touch on that in just a minute. But uh, when I saw the fact that teams were ready to, the players were ready to come back, I, I don't think that's any surprise. Everybody wants to, but um, we're talking about a virus, right? And it's so unpredictable. And not only that, but the, the NHL is trying to be careful. They're trying to be methodical. And found the first thing that came to my mind when I thought methodical is time, longevity. It's going to be a while. Are you thinking that same thing? Tom, Scott, I uh, up there. Uh, yep, I'm back. I lost you. Yeah, I, uh, I lost you at you thought methodical. Oh yeah, I, I thought methodical, and I thought the uh, the key to that would be also longevity. So when you're being methodical, a lot of times it takes a lot of time. 
Are you thinking that same thing to get this all put together? And, you know, when you, yeah, methodical is an interesting word to use here because time is something you don't have um, if you want to finish this season. But honestly, Scott, it is a virus and it'll do what it darn well pleases, no matter what humans want it to do. Um, you do have to be careful because you are playing with not only livelihoods, but lives. And there are players who would be more susceptible to falling seriously ill with this than others. You can't discount that. You don't want someone taking it home to their family. You don't want a healthy athlete who may be asymptomatic, heaven forbid, to give it to a six-year-old daughter or uh, their wife or whoever, their grandparents. Um, you know, some of these, I mean, some of them are kids. That's kind of what I, worries me in all of this. And I am firmly in the camp, for those who may not know, but I'm firmly in the camp of we should just shut this season down and go to next year. But that's not what's going to happen if the NHL has its way. They want to play this year. They want to award a Stanley Cup champion, and I understand why. But what we have to figure out, the world of hockey must figure out, how do you blend exactly that? All the safety all of the uh, protocols that you can possibly have in place. Even in the document they released, Scott, that came out, the PDF, one of the first pages, it says, we cannot mitigate all the risk. So there is an accepted risk to trying to finish this season and do it in this manner. And I don't know. I'll be interested to see how it's going to go. But, boy, they at least they have a, a framework in place here before June. So that is something I thought was key. But even at this rate, let's just say, best case, everything goes well. We're really not starting the quote-unquote, um, you know, I, I, you can't call it the regular season because there's seven teams, the year is over. So this is just kind of this nebulous, it's not playoffs, but it's not regular season. And so this this round robin, the playing games, and then you're going to go into the playoffs. So, you know, best case scenario, we're handing out the Stanley Cup, in my opinion, probably in September, mid-September. And then you got to have your downtime, your free agency, your draft, all that, and then figure out when you're going to start up again. Yeah, really good point. Seth, you got something to throw at Tom? Yeah, Tom, uh, again, appreciate you coming on, um, as always. But uh, for me, I the biggest thing, I'm one of those guys that likes to look at numbers and look at contracts. And um, I think that in a couple years when the CBA comes up, I think depending on how this is handled by everybody, whether it be the owners and the players, is going to really determine um, how negotiations go. I know, I know I'm of – the fact, just like you, that they should scrap the season. But what do you think the best solution is here um, if they do end up playing that labor talks and labor peace um, when it starts, uh, whether it be in two years or whether they decide to start ramping it up back now, doesn't start off with the players saying, hey, remember when you guys made us play through an international pandemic? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to be something that can come up. And the other thing, too, one of the reasons why if the players – feel healthy about this, uh, the escrow situation, because they still haven't voted to accept or deny their last paychecks. And part of the reasoning being is maybe they deny that last regular season paycheck so that the escrow amount isn't as high. Hockey-related revenue is going to drop. 
despite the alarmist predictions, Peter Maguire really kind of surprised me. And I think we talked about this last time when he said, oh, the cap's going to drop 25 to 40%. No, it's not. No team in the NHL, even at a 25% drop, could get under that cap, even the cellar dwellers. So that's not going to happen. The cap will probably be about where it is now. It might have a slight bump next year. Teams are going to have to decide if they want to spend the money. Here's the key thing when it comes to those contracts, as you mentioned, I am wanting to know, and I'm sure a lot of places, and let's let's face it, the Arizona Coyotes are a great example of this with the Taylor Hall situation. Are you going to offer a guy long-term max contracts? Is the money going to be there, or is this going to temper the spending because there is the lack of revenue from this year? And that, I, that's a big reason why they're pushing to finish this is revenue. So is that going to be there? Is that, And next year, are you going to play a full season? Look, there are guys, I'm sure, on Ottawa and Buffalo and Did we lose Tom, or is that just me? <laughs> I yeah, I can't a... hear him either. Nope. Tom, I think we lost you for a second. Yep. Okay. Am I? Am oh, I you're, back? You're back. You're back. You're back. Yep. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. Thought, if you will. <laughs> so sh- sure. Just about. Um, I, I don't quite know where you guys lost me, but as far as the standpoint of contracts and guys on teams that won't finish the season. Uh, they're going to want to get paid, uh, and they were short of bonuses. What if you're a guy with a 20-goal bonus and you were sitting on 18, you had 12 games left, you thought you were going to get there. Now what? So these are all contractual issues that have to get ironed out somewhere in here. Are there going to be make goods? Is there going to be time served with the PA count towards your things like your pension plan? You know, so these guys want to have the time in to get fully vested into that pension plan. There's so much at stake here. And guys towards restricted free agency and regular free agency, that's based on time in the game, in the NHL. So, yeah, this is all brand new territory for the modern hockey economy. And, yeah, there's a lot of questions that, quite frankly, there are just no answers to yet. Yeah, totally. Tom, in addition to that, um, as time passes, guess what happens to uh, players? They begin to age like everybody else. I'm thinking of guys like a Derek Englund up in Vegas. I'm thinking of guys that are maybe in their last uh, years of their career. Um, if they're not able to get this thing going and they're not able to even start next year on time, I mean, God forbid anything like that would happen, but how, how hard is it going to be on those guys to end their careers Um in a way like this. It'll be frustrating. It'll be a lot like any athlete who is forced to retire versus choosing to walk away, meaning an injury, something outside the game. Uh, You know, we see guys come back all the time. It would be the most frustrating end. Uh, Imagine if you're a player who had a shot at 50 goals or had a shot at a career record win total. If you're a goaltender or uh, I look at Ryan Miller, in Anaheim, speaking of the Ducks, Miller is a couple of wins behind Dominic Hasek, the guy he followed in Buffalo. Hasek is 14th. Miller is 15th on the all-time wins list. Miller really wanted to catch Hasek. It meant a lot to him, and he wanted to get there. He may not get the chance now. 
And there's talk, will Anaheim bring him back? Will he even be back in the NHL next year? He's staring down the barrel of something that meant a lot to him, passing specifically Hashik because he followed him in Buffalo and because of you know the the shoes he left to fill and Miller stepped in and did pretty well. But that's a big deal, you know, and so some athletes are going to have to find ways to cope with that because they're never there may never come a time where they have a chance to fulfill that, Scott. And it's sad, uh, it, but it's it's inevitable that this is going to happen. If even if we resume, even if we finish the the Stanley Cup playoffs, we award a champion this year. A player like Ryan Miller on a team that is already in the offseason does not have a chance to fulfill that goal. And if he doesn't play again, it's a sad way to end it. Absolutely. Seth, you got another one for Tom? Yeah, Tom, I think you make a really interesting point when it um, for those players that A, are coming up on bonuses and B, they don't want um, the careers to, to end the way they did. And, um but I also think another thing that Scott and I have really touched on is, you know, as you mentioned earlier about the league losing revenue, I think we all know that the, the league's going to operate at a loss, but do you think it's beneficial to try and get some of that TV money back? You know, you're going to lose money, but is it a situation where let's at least try to recoup some losses? Or do you think even if they come back and they get the TV money and the ad money and the ratings are – I would say artificially high just because people are starved for it, right? Novelty, novelty high because people are starving for it. Do you think it's worth the risk that they're taking? Or do you think, again, as I'm under the impression, you just kind of eat it in terms of the TV revenue and, and stuff and just try and start again back in October? Short answer, no. But because I don't want to give a one-word answer to that question, I'll take the other side of the coin. Here's why you come back. You come back because the TV revenue will be presumably much higher because that is the only place your audience can view you. That is the only place people will be able to catch these games. So your broadcast revenue is higher. Uh, you will also have better ratings. You will be able to charge more you know, for those spots and those ads. There's going to be some uncertainty here. I had mused on uh, my own uh, podcast that I do and in talking about how are they going to do this, it, it the thought crossed my mind, will they extend local and regional television into the second round of the playoffs or beyond? Because they traditionally don't do that. Local broadcasts, TV, dies in the middle of the first round. You're allowed to carry so many games in the first round, and then that's it. So that's where regional TV ends. However, one of the ways that you could make good the ads that would have been in your arena is on a local broadcast. So you can still fulfill some of those sponsorship commitments. Yes, there is definitely money to be made there. Yes, there is the possibility of, you know, gaining some of that revenue back, not coming back. I've heard estimates the NHL by not coming back would lose $4 billion. I don't know if that's correct or not. Sounds pretty high, but I suppose I could see when you look across the entire league, lost playoff games with fan revenue, because remember, every playoff game is simply revenue to those home teams because they're not paying the players anymore. So those are cash cows. You're losing that money, that three to five million a game across the league for, you know, 16 teams. 
that's a lot of revenue to be missing for these clubs. So yeah, I think by coming back and being able to get some of that back, it's better than not coming back at all from a financial standpoint. Now that was well said. Um, Tom, I want to jump from that topic to the playoff format. First of all, get your opinion on that. And then I'll follow that up with um, the positive side of COVID, if that is such a thing, is that there were a lot of guys on a lot of teams that were injured and didn't know if they would be able to come back in time for the playoffs had they gone off as planned. But first of all, the format, were you happy with that? Do you like that 2014 format? Did I lose Tom again? Uh, I think we did. Uh, hopefully we'll get it right back again. We're having some connection problems. Seth, are you still there with me? Yes, I am. Okay, Tom, oh, Tom is there. Back. we are. <laughs> we got gremlins out there or something, Tom. It's drifting in and out. But um, did you hear any of my question at all? I can see Tom, but I can't Scott, hear him. are you still there? I'm here. Yep. Tom's going to give it another shot right. here to rejoin well, us, I think. so. Yeah, I'm, I'm still here. I don't see I, Tom online yet, but he should be coming back in, I hope, in just a second. But you're still there with me, Seth, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So what we were talking about Why? was was the injuries. I, I'm not sure what's going on with Tom's connection, but uh, he came back on. I saw him. And uh, then he disappeared again. So <laughs> hopefully we get him reconnected. What are your thoughts on that question I threw out there, uh, Seth, about uh, the fact that the players would be healthier and, and that? Well, I think uh, we talked with Kenny McCudden last week, and, you know, that's that was kind of the road I wanted him to get down when he was talking about Seth Jones is, I mean, I didn't ask that question well enough, but, um, you know, that's a guy like Seth Jones is going to come back, right? A guy who had ankle surgery. It was, you know, maybe, oh, they get him back by the time the playoffs came around, you know, maybe middle of the first round. Now for a team like Columbus, your best defenseman and arguably your best player is going to be back in time for round one. So, um, yeah, a lot of teams are going to get get their, um, get their top guys back. Um, the Coyotes in particular, I know um, – their goaltenders throughout the season had struggled with injuries. I know Darcy Kemper out a long time and, um, you know, Auntie Ronta, even just in his Coyotes career had been kind of up and down in terms of staying in the lineup. So um, you're going to get two goalies that are healthy and fresh, hopefully. So yeah, it's, that's huge. That is really big. Um, and I think that uh, for a lot of teams, it's almost a blessing in disguise, right? Like it's one of those where sure it's, tough with the pandemic and you want everybody safe but for teams that we're gearing up i mean the columbus blue jackets again just talking that i mean they lost i believe it was the most man games in the nhl it seemed like every night somebody else was down like it's just one of those where yeah columbus who great coaching staff great defensive core somewhat great goaltending and when they're healthy uh offensively they can put up some goals so um it's big for a team like columbus it's big for a team like arizona you know a team like Vegas who has some top guys that might've had some wear and tear during the season in terms of just the long grind. So um, that's big for a number of teams, but specifically some of those teams that were hovering around the middle or the bottom uh, of the playoff chase, 
that felt like, okay, if we could get these one, two, three guys back, we would be um, in a really good spot to contend for the playoffs and, and go deep. Okay, some are fans' perspective. Uh, once the, uh, the talk was released that the, N- the NHLPA and the NHL had reached this agreement to, uh, to the format, the 2014 format, what we saw from the fans' end of it was uh, some generous, I mean, genuine excitement because teams or people here in Arizona were excited to see the Coyotes making the playoffs. Um, people in Vegas, for example, were excited about getting a bye. Uh, we still don't know where this would all happen, but is this enough to keep the, uh, the fan support that was building so much, especially here in Phoenix and in Arizona, going in your mind? Sorry, Scott. Yeah, I'm having a little technical difficulties now, but I'm here. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think it would push the market a little bit more, especially because when you look at what the NBA is trying to propose, uh, it would see the Suns on the outside, right? I don't think they're going to make any changes to what they're doing um, in terms of their playoffs. So yeah, it would be okay. And Arizona teams in the playoffs, baseball, it's starting to look bleaker and bleaker for them. Um, obviously the Cardinals are going to gear up for uh, a season, but that's a season that didn't make the playoffs. So all of a sudden you're the only team that has made the playoffs um, in the state in 1920, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not counting the Cardinals that they make it cause that's technically 2021, but in terms of the 1920 sports season, quote unquote, you're going to be the only team to make the playoffs. You'll be the first team in Arizona to make the playoffs since the D backs in 2017. So like all of a sudden now the Coyotes are okay. Yeah even though there might be a little bit of an asterisk next to it, you know, okay, this is a team that has made the playoffs most recent in Arizona. They break a three-year drought in, among the uh, top four major professional sports teams. I don't want to forget the Phoenix Mercury, a team who's uh, been to the playoffs a ton, has made runs, has won three championships. They went to the playoffs last season. But when we're talking about the four major professional sports in Arizona, the Coyotes, the first team to make it since 2017. So yeah, all of a sudden, in Arizona, a state that's been starved for playoff action outside of the Mercury and, and the Rattlers, yeah, it's it's big. It's That's huge for this team and really for hockey in Arizona. All right. I think we got good news. I think we got my man Tom Callahan back with us. Tom, are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here, and my thanks to Terry for, for helping me out a little bit here. It was the weirdest thing, and I apologize, but hey, this is technology, right? My phone just decided it no longer wanted to connect to the internet, so fun, fun times. I hear you. So, I don't know how much of my question I heard you heard of it, but what I was asking you was, uh, was twofold. Uh, what were your thoughts about the decision to go to a 2014 format, and specifically having the four buys in each conference. That's part one. And part two, hopefully we won't lose you, but part part two of that would be uh, the teams that had injuries. A lot of guys didn't know if they were going to make it back if the playoffs started on time. Uh, just what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll start with that. I actually think of all the positives, as you said, I don't know if you can have a positive here, but coming out of the pause, Pittsburgh gets Jake Gensel back, Columbus We'll get Seth Jones back at some point. Uh, you know, uh, Tarasenko comes back in St. Louis. There are a lot of players who are and Vancouver gets Markstrom back, who they desperately need to play. He's their entire season. There are a lot of storylines for guys coming back if they can get to healthy shape 
keep in mind, a lot of these guys, this training camp is going to be hyper and accelerated. I hope there's not any injuries coming out of camp, at least lingering or major ones, because guys are going to have to push to get in shape. That said, it's really nice to see teams will have close to full lineups, with a few exceptions. Some guys had surgeries and what have you, um, but teams will have close to full lineups. That is exciting if you're a hockey fan, and especially if you're a fan of a team where you thought you weren't going to see that guy again this year. I think that's tremendous news. The tw- You know what? The 2014 format is as close as you're going to come to making everybody happy, and that's what they had to do. I don't mind it. Um, I don't like first-round buys. I think the teams on a buy or a long wait are at a disadvantage. Uh, I tend to, unless unless you're healing up from regular season injuries, which in this case, I mean, you know, I don't think anyone will. Of course, the top four teams in each conference will play each other for seeding uh, purposes. But honestly, Scott, I would not want to be a team healthy sitting there practicing and waiting on everyone else to finish their series. That would drive me nuts. Uh, And I think you are at a disadvantage coming out in game one and game two. And I say this having been a part of a team that was uh, back in 2000, I believe it's two. I was in the United Hockey League with a team named the Elmira Jackals. Elmira went through the regular season and the first two rounds of the playoffs like a hot knife through butter swept their way through the conference final, and then sat for nine days waiting to find out who their opponent would be in the final. The Jackals, who were in every way a superior team, lost games one and two, won games three and four, but then lost five and six in overtime. I think it's a different series if that Elmira team has three days off, maybe four as opposed to nine, where they just don't get it going in the first couple of days. You can't replicate that in practice. So I don't like first-round buys uh, in just about any sport. The only one I can see a first-round buy working is football because teams are used to having a bye week here and there. So uh, other than that, again, the 24-team format is just as close as you're going to get to making people happy, bubble teams, their fans, and – Let's face it, this is about money, right? You're pushing up the revenues because more markets are involved. Yeah, without a doubt. Okay, so so as a broad from a broadcaster standpoint, you, you know what it's like to call games of large, large, loud, explosive crowds. Um, as a player in a player's perspective, coming back to an empty arena, how hard is that going to be for them to generate uh, emotion, if you will? I mean, they're still going to be able to play the game and make big hits and and, and they're professionals, but how much do they thrive off of a, a, a big arena? I mean, we know what it's like in Vegas and Nashville and places like that, but how important is that? It can, it can make a difference positively and negatively on teams. If your home crowd is behind you, conversely, if they turn on you, uh, on the other hand, if you're a road team and you shut that home crowd up, those are all momentum swings. Now there's nobody in the seats. I, however, already have my answer for how this will play out with empty seats, and it's courtesy I of the, did. <laughs> I do, and it's courtesy of the German Bundesliga. The Bundesliga went back to playing soccer a few weeks ago, and watching those games, the teams that are the better teams rise to the top. I actually think no fans completely levels the playing field and leaves it strictly to talent because 
there is no advantage or disadvantage. There is no crowd. There is no momentum swing brought on by noise. There is momentum swing brought on by your play, your skill, your ability to, to produce. So to me, this is an advantage to the better teams to not have crowds. It'll be weird. It'll be echoey. You'll hear the players yelling, Scott, I have a question. How are the networks going to handle all the F-bombs that you will routinely hear on the air? I was thinking that same thing. And, you know, last week, Tom, we had uh, Kenny McCudden on from the the Columbus Blue Jackets. And and Kenny told me, quite frankly, that he thought it was worth a a fan support in the playoffs were worth a half a goal. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's coming from his perspective. You know, I, I mean, I could see that. Yes, I think it is an advantage, especially for the home team. Uh, I can see that being an advantage. The, what we're saying, though, Scott, is that in taking the crowd out, you're taking so half a goal to the good for the home team, but half a goal to the bad for the road team. And we're eliminating that, but we're yes. getting rid of it. So that's no longer there. It's not a factor. So will it change the outcomes of playoff series? I don't think so. I don't think it'll have – I'm trying to think, and I've been in situations where, for instance, uh, back when I was, was working in Georgia, the Buffalo Sabres took the Carolina Hurricanes to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final. And then Carolina would famously go on to win the Cup. But Buffalo came into that game uh, needing a win in Game 7, missing their top four defensemen, their fir- their top four starting defensemen were all out of the lineup. They're battling a ton of uh, other injuries. And when I went inside that building, it was like a Buffalo home game. And I am convinced that Sabres fans carried the Sabres as far as they could. There were probably five to 6,000 fans who drove down from Western New York, or in my case, up from Georgia, to root for the Sabres in that game. It was so loud it was amazing. And you could tell they were feeding off it, but they just couldn't finish it out because of how beat up they were. They ended up losing, uh, which is still heartbreaking. But that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. So I do believe there's something to the crowd's effect both ways. However, with that crowd not there at all, it's it's going to be up to the networks to help fill that little bit of a void. And Ted Leonsis was quoted this week as saying he wants to see a lot of innovation with camera placement, with other things they can do because there are no fans in the bowl. Be able to do things. Leonsis actually suggested drones. He's like, why not have a drone follow Ovechkin around the ice? I'm like, yeah, wait till it hits the center scoreboard. But, um, yeah, but you know, th- those are things maybe you can do with no fans. Maybe you do keep the drones in a no-fly zone out on the seats, but maybe now they fly up and down like they do at the Winter Classic. I would love to see the innovation the league comes up with while there are no fans in the seats, and it's going to be incumbent on them to generate that quote-unquote excitement for the fans at home. Absolutely. Seth, you got another one for Tom? I still have Seth there. Did I lose you? And now Seth left. No, I'm right here. <laughs> okay. No, I'm still here. I'm still here. Um, so we've talked about TV and we've talked about, um, you know, coming back. And obviously that's the only way fans are going to be able to see it. But um, I think what networks and, and leagues are trying to figure out is how do we make this uh, as less, as least awkward as possible, right? Do you pipe in crowd noise? Do you put in you know, fake people in the seats, whether it be 
you know, like mannequins, things like that. Uh, what do you think in terms of TV presentation? Obviously, it says no media, but there's going to be some sort of, you know, TV camera crew, broadcasters, maybe one, you know, ice side reporter, quote unquote. Um, what do you think it's going to look like when hockey comes back to TV if there's no fans in the arena? And how do you think uh, they should go about it? Uh, I don't. I don't think we need to do cutouts or anything like that. I, I do hope they innovate some of the ca- camera angles and positions, and I do hope they take advantage of the the bowl. But I also think why not uh, decorate the seats? Why not put signage over the seats and maybe help recoup some of that sponsorship money? Make it look busy. Make it look like a billboard. I don't care. We're still focusing on the ice and the players that are going to be out there. And let's face it, I know the reason that you're coming back to play is money. It's financial because there's a lot to lose if you don't. So I don't have a problem with that. I could see a guy between the glass. The NASCAR has been interesting as an example. I've been watching the broadcast. Even though I'm not a big race fan, I, logistically, I wanted to see how they did it. So they had the, the race. The camera crew is at the race. The broadcasters are back in a studio. So you have a couple of people in the TV truck, and I've worked in TV trucks. Normally, you have people elbow to elbow, six and seven to a side, and there's two sides of a truck, and you're jammed in there together. There were only two people in there doing the race a couple of weeks ago. The replay officials, or sorry, the replay techs were in Los Angeles. The graphics coordinators were in Texas and in Georgia. So it's possible to farm all this out. Now, that was a Fox Sports broadcast. It's possible to farm all these things out, regional or not. You just need maybe one or two TV trucks. You're going to have to do uh, what they call a dual broadcast, but it can be done. And you can overlay the graphics on the home feed if you just send out a blank and then the national feed. It can be done. I anticipate that's how it will be done. And it's going to be weird, but there is no difference to say, you know, Hockey Night in Canada, sometimes there's an in-person interview and sometimes it's just a guy looking into a camera wearing a headset and talking to the guys up in the booth anyway. There's not much difference. You're still talking to a player. You're still having an interaction with the guy. You're not going to miss much. As a matter of fact, casual fans may not perceive the, the loss at all. People like me who are a little more attuned to it might see something and go, oh, that's that. But I just don't think you're going to notice it. And as far as post-game scrums and locker room access, obviously that won't be a thing. Guys are going to have to come through one at a time and do a podium or whatever, and you're going to have limited access to only a couple players a night. Yeah, that stinks. Um, You know, and I hope the league figures out a way to get more availability to continue to sell the story through the playoffs. But that's really where I think the impact is going to be uh, in the long run from – you know, whatever comes out of the social distancing and, and precautions that we end up taking is the way that that affects the media side. And I don't just mean reporters. I mean, how we consume the game is going to change a lot. And we're going to, I believe we will see innovation here when the NHL returns. All right. We got about five minutes and I'm going to open up a can of worms that could uh, take us into about 55 minutes, but we'll try to do it as quickly as we can. Uh, we see the major leagues, right? The four major uh, leagues, professional leagues, some, and we look at what the NFL has done, right? They've hardly missed a beat. They innovated their draft. They made everything look good. Uh, they made it exciting. They got crazy numbers. 
And now all of a sudden you could see NBA, NHL, and possibly um, in Major League Baseball, and then football starting up in September. They could all be playing at the same time. Uh, how much of a uh, craziness factor is that going to be? That would be something, wouldn't it, to see all four majors going at the same time? I think that would be that would be nuts, uh, but it'd be fun. And it you would look for us as hockey fans. We say that's my number one. If I'm a basketball fan, that's my number one. If I'm a baseball fan, that's my number one. I, I'm a baseball fan number two. But if you're going to ask me to choose between playoff NHL hockey and game number 40 of the Blue Jays season, which that's my team, um, I'm probably going to watch the playoff hockey just because that's my livelihood. Fans will be spoiled. And so, Scott, what you left unsaid was the ability to cannibalize ratings. Right. Um, Interested to see what kind of effect that does indeed have. But let's face it. Do I expect people to reach a saturation point or an overload point when all this is going on? Quite honestly, no, I don't. I think people are just so – it's been gone for so long – If you've tuned out, you've tuned out. And if you haven't, you cannot wait for it to come back. And you will be there the whole time when it comes back. Very well said, Tom. It's a pleasure always. Uh, Even if we have communication issues, it's always great to have you on. Promote that uh, Talking Puck uh, show of yours on Twitch and your podcast, and and we'll let you go. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Scott. Uh, Yeah, so... If anybody uh, is hanging out on Sunday nights, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, Talking Puck is live. It's it's me, uh, so I'm former voice of the National Predators, Mike Haynes, former voice of the Colorado Avalanche. We talk hockey for an hour on Sunday nights. It's on YouTube, it's on Twitch, and it's on Mixer. So we're on all three of those platforms. It's a, it's a show you can watch on your phone if you want, or your computer, or, or through your Roku, or whatever you have. Just search for Talking Puck on any of those, YouTube, Mixer, and on Twitch. Also, the podcast, uh, there's three podcasts. As a matter of fact, one dropped today, but coming out this week. Those are through TalkingPuck.com as well, anywhere that you get your podcasts and the website Talking Puck. So, you know what, Scott? I love talking hockey with you guys. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, by the way, on Twitter, I'm at Callahan on air, <laughs> and I'm on there a lot. So please reach out to me if you want on Twitter. I love chatting and talking hockey, meeting other fans. And you know what? I appreciate the work you guys are doing what you're doing for hockey in the desert Southwest. And let's face it right now, we are all so ready to get back to it. I hope we can very soon. Totally agree. Tom Callahan. Thanks so much for joining in. Uh, Seth and I will be back to wrap things up here in just a minute. Support your Wildcats as they battle ASU for another Cactus Cup championship and more at the Tucson Arena. Your hockey team, your Arizona Wildcats. Call 791-4101 for tickets now. Seth, do I still have you there?
Scott, yeah, sorry about that. I heard the music cut out, but I didn't know what was <laughs> no, next. No so, sorry no about that. Yeah, I'm here. I said, let's just uh, wrap it up here in about two minutes to uh, give us your thoughts on uh, Tom Callahan and his uh, great sound that he can always provide and great insight. Yeah, uh, give him a good opportunity to plug his podcast at the end. So that's definitely going to give me uh, about a, a week's worth of uh, listening to, at least until we're back on. So, um, you know, but he's good, right? A guy who's worked in the, pre- you know, for the Predators and worked for the Roadrunners. Like he's seen it at all levels. He's called hockey at all levels. And when you work in an organization, it's a lot different than working for a media entity. So, you know, right? Like you have a lot more. Uh, you see a lot more to the inside and you kind of have a, a little closer relationship with the players. So that's a guy who knows exactly what some of these guys might be thinking. And um, yeah, it's good. It's um, always great to have on, but uh, I mean, I think he just gave a, a really good insight on, you know, what's, what's next, what's to come. And uh, always a great guest. I think um, you should keep having him on. I hopefully he doesn't take my place as um, <laughs> host or co-host. Uh, <laughs> Guy who definitely has a lot better credentials than me. So he he does a great job. It's great to have him on. And we were a little bit worried in April about what we were going to do for content all summer long. I think we've solved that problem because hockey just continues on and on and on, uh, one way or the other. And like I said, to start the show, it's methodical, which probably means time consuming. And you know, the building going on in Vegas and the AHL coming up there and the potential for Vegas to be one of those homes. All kinds of good stuff. Seth Askelton, thanks for joining me. Hopefully we'll get all these technical issues worked out with uh, you, me, and our, our next guest next Monday. Uh, thanks for spending the Memorial Day with us, folks. And for Seth and I, we'll see you uh, next week on uh, another Professional Hockey Southwest Weekly. We're going to send it off tonight with a little uh, Roger Klein and the Peacemakers De Niro. Mm-hmm.